Hello, everyone. So this is podcast number two with my friend Brandon, and we're discussing the way that and the claims that Jesus made and the way that he saw himself and um, and also in the context of an argument that C.S. Lewis made, which I read verbatim from his book, Mere Christianity, in part one, where C.S. Lewis says that there are really only three live options on the table for uh, being honest with what Jesus actually said about himself, that he's either liar, Lord, or lunatic, given the legitimate claims, the, the claims that he made about himself and, um, and, his, and his nature, such as that he had the power to forgive sins, he's always existed, he came from heaven, he and God are one, that sort of thing. And what Lewis is trying to argue against is the point of view, which is a pretty popular modern point of view, from people that say something like, well, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I'm not ready to accept his claim to be God or, or that his claim you know, is legitimate, that he is God. He's just a kind of a good moral teacher, one among many. And Lewis says, we don't really have that option open to us because the things that Jesus said would not have made him a good moral teacher, like the fact that he had the prerogative alone to forgive sins of the whole world without, without any recompense to anybody that had actually been sinned against. So I read the whole uh, argument from C.S. Lewis in, in the first uh, podcast and the purview of these two podcasts is to, okay, well, let's look and see what he actually said. What did Jesus actually claim about himself? So in the first uh, podcast, we got through a good amount of verses, but we're not done. There's more stuff to get through. And Brandon's here with me. And uh, Brandon's a friend of mine that's very, very knowledgeable about Scripture. So when I have questions and want to get some legitimate answers, I'll call Brandon and so I thought, who better to ask than my friend Brandon Broyles to try to get to the bottom of what these claims are that Jesus made actually about himself. Right, Brandon? Well, thank you, Jake. That's very kind. Um, yeah, we got through a lot of them last time, but we have a few more to go through and some interesting things we'll see here. We'll mostly finish up in John, um, but we'll have uh, some fun things to see here. The first uh, verse we're going to look at, first set of verses, is in chapter 17. I'll read the verses, and uh, that way we'll have a context to what we'll discuss from them. Verses uh, 1 through 5, and then I'll skip to 24 of chapter 17 in the book of John. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. This is the, the quote, uh, quote, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Before the world began. So he's saying, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Yeah, I underlined a couple things here on this that I, again, when we remember what we're thinking about uh, where we can categorize Jesus, and that's this this word glorify that's used multiple times here, Um, which if you look up the definition, it'll say something about worship or to give admiration to. Um, But it's not a word that we use very often um, or ever. I, I can't recall ever hearing that word being used towards a person. Just in common practice. In, in, okay. Yeah, in our normal conversation mm-hmm. today. Um, and I also think it's it's a little more difficult for us here in America where we've never been ruled by um, a king or a queen um, or, and definitely not an emperor where, you know, they are shown admiration to mm-hmm. an extent beyond what we would show our governor or president or or whatever like that. So even though this word, the word now is probably more used in a, in a Christian setting having to do with God, uh, back then you did have uh, monarchies and emperors and stuff where um, they, some of them obviously required worship of themselves. Mm. But... Um, the fact that he uses the word glorify several times here, talking about talking about God as Father, but also himself, that he would be glorified, and asking the Father to glorify him in his presence. Um, and he said, with the glory he already had mm. at the beginning of the world. So mm. he's, you think about that in terms of uh, a high level of admiration, or worship, um, you know, we we do know the Roman emperors ultimately uh, decreed that they should be worshipped as a god. But so it might be more common then. But today, it, it would be abnormal for us to run across a human that was requesting that we glorify them mm. in some for some reason. In some way, in some pseudo or quasi-religious way, I suppose, mm-hmm. is how it was fleshed out in, in these um, monarchy or type of yep. ruling powers, I suppose. Yeah, and you think about it at the time, uh, this is just a Jew from Nazareth who, you know, there's a quote that says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So he wasn't even from a upscale place. Um, so you have this... Jew, lonely Jew, in under Roman dominion, Asking talking about getting glorified by God Himself, by God before, Himself before the world began. And then that's the next part is He's saying before the world began, which means that He had to be and be conscious thereof before the world was before. Yeah, before actual terrestrial, I mean, before before anything existed, I suppose. Because yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that world could either mean Earth or it could mean the universe. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I think either way, you can use them both. I mean, we know um, 
the beginning of John, John chapter 1, you know, where he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, and, and we as Christians believe that Jesus was there mm-hmm. before. But again, we bring it back to the, this man. Uh, back then, this Jew guy, he's, you know, he, he had glory and was before the, the world was. Right. That's quite a claim. Yes. Yeah. So I thought he was just a good moral teacher, though, Brandon. Right. Well, that, and that would be a very interesting thing for a good moral teacher to claim. <laughs> Might undermine their, 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 the, the legitimacy of what they're trying to say if it was strictly just in the moral domain. Yes. Oh, uh, here, you ought not to do this to each other. By the way, I've lived forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it also says, for you granted him authority. This is Jesus. You, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. So he's saying, look, I have authority over all people, granted to me by, by the Father, by God himself. Yeah, he's kind of talking about himself. What did that be in the third person, I guess? For you, God, granted him, me. Meaning, meaning Jesus. Jesus, authority over all people. And we kind of talked about eternal life in our last episode quite a bit but um and we talked a little bit about the he had authority to judge um but again here we're reminded i guess of both of the the authority complete authority um over life and all the people yeah to give eternal life to all those you have given him or given me yeah now this is eternal life that they know you the only true God, and me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So not just that, I mean, imagine the hearers, you know, who have been the teachers of the law, the folks that study the law, they, they, in, they know that there's only one true God, and, 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 and he's adding himself here, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yeah, and jumping way ahead, you know, we know that language is ultimately what um, the Sanhedrin wants to commit him to death for is putting himself on the level of God. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, sometimes to to borrow a quote, um, sometimes it's good to remember that this was this was written for us, but it was not necessarily written to us. And so we think back to when this was taking place. You just have a man, seemingly a man, standing there saying, you know, me and God, we're, we're on the same page here. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me read verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So he's doubling down on this eternal nature. Yes, and the and the if you remember the last thing we covered on the last episode, the very last deal was him saying that he had overcome the world, and so, you know, it you start looking if you if you're starting to believe these things he's claiming, then you can kind of start to put it all together that, um, you know, if he's overcome the world, and he was there before the creation of the world. Um, and he has authority to take these places. And last time we talked about uh, him saying where he was going, he was making many rooms. Um, 
that he would have glory because of everything that's encompassed of all his claims. Now, of course, if you don't believe that, then you end up, I guess, putting him in that lunatic category. Right. But the, the people that heard this message, it culminated in their minds to, we got to kill this guy. Yeah, To be will. consistent with our law. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they understood the claim that he was making. Yeah, they must have. You're right. Because um, that was their grounds for wanting him crucified. So this is uh, still in chapter 17, verses 6 through 12. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. I think, actually, I'm going to stop right there, and we'll read the rest of those verses in a minute. What struck me on this, uh, well, a couple of things, but that last bit, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. I mean, what a bold claim. Yeah, he starts right at the beginning saying that they were yours, and you gave them to me. Um, which further connects God and Jesus and, and their inner working. They're working together. You know, you could say as a team is what he's saying. We're on the same team and we're, we're sharing the work. Uh, we're sharing the people between yeah. us. It's not a controversial statement to say that all, if you believe in God, let's say, even a deity, let's say, uh, then, uh, what I mean is, is if you're something more generic like a deist or something, it's not controversial to say that, well, God owns everything. So all I have is his. That's not a very controversial mm-hmm. statement. But to say that, and all you have is mine. Yes. I mean. Yeah. You're, you're putting yourself on the same level. You would have to. You're, you're, I mean, equal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled." So, a uh, lot to unpack there too, Brandon. Where do you want to start? Well, <clears throat> let me back up just real quick to the first part that we read. Sure. Um, so, if you look in your Bibles, probably most Bibles will begin this section with something that says, Jesus prays for his disciples. So, it, and we're specifically talking about his apostles here. And so he's, he's praying for them because what, what you just read, that he said, I'm not praying for the world, 
right now. He is going to later, but, um, but, and this is, I don't want to get too off topic on this, but I think it's really interesting to point out. In chapter, in verse eight, he says, they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. And so, in praying to God, Jesus is saying in, in um, front of them that they totally believed that he came from God. So I get that's one of the first places that we have. I mean, we've already had, um, you know, Peter's confession, but this is one of the very first times we have like a certain statement of they believe there were people that believed what Jesus is saying that he did come from God. Um, they got the message then. Yeah, yeah, which would put them in the Lord category. They right. believed he was Lord. Yep. Um, in the next part, um, again, we have shown you know some of this uh, intertwining between Jesus and God, and they're sharing the work and the people, and. Um, that he protected them um, by the name he was given from God. So, you, you know, a further, you know, you only, you don't name other people's kids. <laughs> or, you know, you don't, tend to, you don't tend to name things that aren't yours. Um, so him saying that he got a name from God puts himself, you know, as something from God. Yeah, and he's saying, Holy Father, protect him by the power of your name, the name you gave me. Yeah. So the power, there's power in that name. The name, it could be Messiah, possibly. Mm -hmm. The name you gave me might mean something like, well, it, by whose authority do you, you know, claim any, whatever your claim is, and you say, well, in the name of such and such, mm -hmm. I claim this authority. And this is a kind of a common motif that Jesus says. He says often something like, it's not my own will or my own notion. It's in the name of the Father that I mm -hmm. make these claims. Uh, so that they may be one as we are one. So there, he's claiming that he and the Father are one again. Yes. Quite a claim. Yes. I mean, it's... It's puzzling to even know how to unpack that, even if you believe him. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even if you fully believe the the uh, claims that he's making about himself, it's still hard to understand how he and the Father are one in like in purpose, in in their what they're trying to accomplish. Or I think it's in a mysterious way that you know that defies comprehension. Really, I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's, the Old Testament says that um, his ways are not our ways. You know, I don't, I think we won't ever be able to totally understand it. Uh, and, well, we will someday. Yeah, the but, best we can do in this life is to use metaphorical language like, let's say, water can be, uh, you know, steam or liquid or ice, something like that, like three mm -hmm. essences of the same substance, you know? Yeah. And maybe... You know, but there's more of a there's more relational stuff going on with the Trinity. Oh yes, you know for sure. that that's that the met, that no metaphor could capture. Right. I don't think yeah. sufficiently. But um, 
So it says, uh, while I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So none has been lost up to the one doomed to destruction. And that's probably Judas. It would seem so. Yes. Um, we have a couple verses we can read here um, to kind of support that. But we do. Yeah. Probably believe that that would be Judas Iscariot. Um, there's a in Psalm 41 verses 9 and 10 it says even my close friend whom I trusted he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me but you O Lord have mercy on me raise me up that I may repay them and then if we go back just a couple chapters in John 13 um, in verses in verse 18 what we what we have here is um, Jesus is pre predicting his betrayal. And, and we'll just read two verses here, 18 and 19. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scripture. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me, which is the Psalm verse we just read. That's yep. what Jesus himself is quoting. And then he says, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. So um, we have Jesus there using that Psalm verse, um, one to as a proof that he is the Messiah, and then two, using it to say, you know, this is, I'm telling you, this is going to happen, and when it does, then you'll know I've already told you this. Um, Right. And he was talking about Judas Iscariot. So then when we move here to this verse, uh, the end of verse 12, the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled must be Judas Iscariot. And it must be that scripture would be fulfilled. It's probably referring to that Psalm 41.9. Yes. Got it. Yes. Okay, chapter 18, um, around verse, or verses around 36, starting with 35. Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Yeah, and then I forgot to put it on here, 37, the first sentence in 37. So Pilate says, you're a king then. So, and, and Jesus then replies that you're right, saying I, I am a king. So again, we're reminded this is a, a Jewish man under Roman authority. Um, he's now in Jerusalem. And the points of interest are that he says he's a king later, but so he has a kingdom, but it's not in the world. And it's from another place. So <clears throat> just 
again, imagine that you have somebody standing in front of you and one, you're a subject of another country and you, you're set claiming to be a king, but you're also claiming that your kingdom then is not of the world and it's somewhere else. It's not even in this world. So where, I mean, so is it Mars or, you know, I I mean, that might be the thought of Pilate. Um, And so the pretty outrageous claims to you're a king and your kingdom is not of the world. It's somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We would definitely think uh, some interesting things if we ran across somebody saying that. Yes. Today. Um, and and remember Jesus, you know Jesus talking to Pilate, who is a a Roman, the voice of the Roman emperor in Israel. Um, so he's not a Jew. Um, I mean, it just got to be laughable to Pilate one to have somebody this guy saying he's a king, um, but and then we don't know, but likely Pilate is a, you know, believes in the Roman gods or Greek gods. Um, So I don't know what he would have thought. He might have thought then he's talking about wherever Zeus is or something. I I don't know, but um, interesting claims for a supposed human to be making. And and, uh, Jesus, you know, when Pilate asked him, what is it you have done? Your own people and chiefs and pre- chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And uh, he doesn't re- directly reply. He just says, mm-hmm. look, my program is bigger than, you know, these, what would you say, these, these, these worldly concerns because my kingdom is not of, of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. And could it be that... I'm just speculating on this, but could it be that uh, that that the, there's instances in Scripture in which they wanted to lay hand lay hold of Jesus and seize him, but they were afraid of the people. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of his followers, the mob that he had, you know, whatever you want to call it, that he had attracted around him. They, am I right on that? I mean, they would have they would have been afraid of the people at large that followed Jesus. Yeah, and they being the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, yes. Um, yeah, and, and to give that a little context um, as to the Sanhedrin being afraid of the people, um, if you remember when Herod Antipas was going to kill John the Baptist, he didn't want to do it because he was afraid of the people because mm. they liked him. And so you have Herod Antipas, you know, kind of a puppet king, mm. but authority nonetheless over the Jews that was didn't even want to kill John the Baptist because he was afraid of them. Yeah. So you come down to the Sanhedrin, um, you know, I mean, we've fast-forwarded some years, but if Herod Antipas was scared of the people, then no question the Sanhedrin could have been concerned about the people. And maybe that's why they had this prerogative of trying to enforce the death by the Roman, you know, powers. Yeah, I would think that could be part. And I, I'll i be honest, I, I'm a little 
fuzzy on my Roman law recollection, but in general, the Jews did not have the authority to sentence someone to death. Mm. Um, and so that, to you, Pilate did have the authority to sentence people to death. Well, you can imagine, yeah, you can imagine that if they were afraid of a mob retaliation, let's say, and whatever they did to Jesus, then that's maybe why, that was the catalyst for why to tr- turn him over and try to appeal to the Roman authorities and say, crucify this guy, y'all do it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because they could get in trouble for killing somebody. And interesting enough, these same, the high priest um, himself is ultimately removed from office by Rome for killing somebody. Um, uh, Josephus records this. So we have the same guy, at least at this point, they are, um, you know, trying to use Pilate to kill Jesus, but these same people ultimately get removed for killing people. And then we know, you know, we fast forward to Acts and we just have the outright stoning of Stephen. Um, I guess maybe this is just the beginning of their demise uh, in thinking they'll just kill whoever. It sounds like it degenerated a little bit. The... Uh, yeah, a lot. We could say, I mean, really, if and if you read Josephus and you look at this time, what you see in the, is the beginning of the total destruction of the Jewish civilization in, in AD 70. Yeah, culminating up to that point, right? Yeah. yeah. This is a little off topic, but in looking through this, it struck me at the end of verse 37, Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Verse 38, what is truth? Pilate asked. When I read that and was looking at our notes, it struck me. It just made me think, um, do postmodernists think they've come up with some new theory? Because it seems to me the idea of truth, uh, Pilate has the same question all the way back then. What is truth? What is truth? Is it, how do we know what truth is? Can you imagine? Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine posing the question of what is truth to truth incarnate, and to truth itself? Can you just imagine that? The absurdity of that? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, can, can you imagine what he would think, what Jesus would think? Yeah. Uh, well, even the notion that I mean, even the notion that people have, like postmodernism, like you said, that what is truth? Truth is relative. Truth is whatever we make it. All of those statements they posit as truth claims. See, it's contradictory. I mean, it's so contradictory. It's easy to. It's easy to defeat, and and if someone says all truth is relative, that statement they're making is if it's not a relative statement. They're saying it is an absolute truth that all truth is relative. Well, that's obviously contradictory. Mm-hmm. They don't. Some people don't care about logical consistency. It seems to me. 
They think that the, even the framework of logical consistency is itself, you know, part of the truth scheme, you know, that is just predicated on power grabs or power dynamics. And they'll just jettison it off as if it's not uh, anything that they need to be concerned about if they're just interested in power and whatever will facilitate it, you know. Logical consistency itself is put into the camp of, well, that's just, a, you know, some kind of a structure put up to, to keep some people in power and keep some people oppressed, you know. But, yeah, so, that, but no, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? No. Ne- Ecclesiastes yeah, tells us that. Yeah, we know that. No, postmodernism is nothing new. What might be new might be the widely accepted notion of postmodernism. That might be a new phenomenon in the world, that truth is relative to person to person. See, even that claim is common to all. You're making a claim that's common to all people, Mm -hmm. that all people have their relative personal truth, except that claim is true for all people. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even that's contradictory. You know, yeah, and it's like you and you this, can't get around there being a standard of truth. No, you cannot. Here's one of my favorites: you can't tell people what they ought to think. Well, that person is telling you what, what you, you ought to think exactly. in saying that. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. At the heart of bad ideas, there's always a contradiction. Always, you, if you can ferret it out you can see that there's always a contradiction at the heart of things that are wrong. They're usually wrong in a self-contradictory kind of way. It's just a question of ferreting out, examining the claim, and then coming to realize, oh, this is where the contradiction lies right here. Like, you can't tell people what they ought to think. Well, that person's telling you what What you you ought to think, how you ought to conduct your life, you know. So let's... That's that's a great point, yeah. man. Postmodernism is only, yeah, it's, it's. I don't think it's new, Brandon, but its pervasiveness might be new. The widespread acceptance of it might be new. I don't know, you know, but as a position, that's not new. Pilot. Well, I just think it's interesting to think the, um, for lack of a better word, the arrogance that some proponents of that thought hold themselves towards others like they have this enlightened view because of the lack of truth right and I just when I read that I was like well that's kind of funny because obviously this fella 2,000 years ago said the same thing so you're you're not really that impressive. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, true. Every every point of view, even atheism, claims to be true. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Postmodernists claim to be true. Atheism claims to be true. All systems claim to be true. And all systems are particular. I heard a guy say once that, well, what I don't like about Christianity is that it's, it's particular. Well, all... Every, by definition, if you don't have a system that's particular, you don't have a system. Yeah. You know what I mean? So all systems are particular. Atheism is particular. And it claims to be true. But postmodernism, even in its truth relative claims, claims to be true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's not new. And Pontius Pilate, I don't know if he was a 
He certainly wasn't a postmodernist. No, but he, he was He was a relativist. Yeah. So that's a great point. So uh, verse um, nine, uh, chapter nineteen, verse uh, six yeah. and forward. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, "Crucify! Crucify!" But Pilate answered, "You take him and crucify him. As for me." I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claims to be the son of God. So that, I looked it up, is referring to Leviticus 24, verses 15 and 16. Do you have that at the I ready? I do. Here we can, so yeah, 24, 15 and 16. This is, we're in the, you know, where all the laws laid out. It says, say to the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him, whether an alien or native born. When he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, the, so just to repeat, because it's relevant to the next part. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. So when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? As if, as if the son of God is going to be like, well, I, you know, yeah. came from, you know, from heaven. So uh, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. I mean, what, what answer what you could say? you give? Yeah. yeah. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Yeah, so a couple things here. I guess we'll start with this. We talking about the the law, the old Jewish law. Um, obviously, and and what we're this whole thing we're talking about is 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 the likelihood of Jesus being the Lord. Mm -hmm. And obviously, the the Sanhedrin; these people do not. Um, believe that he is, but they obviously are acquainted with the thought that he thought he was. Right. And he, took it seriously enough to be here in this situation trying to get Pilate to kill him. Yes. And you also have to consider that Jesus must have made enough of a stir in their civilization for them to take notice of the fact um, to get to this point. And being afraid of the mob right? to try to convince the Romans to do it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not even consistent with what it actually says in Leviticus, that those guys get together and do the stoning themselves. Yeah. Which, like we said, I mean, now they don't even have... Uh, they would get in trouble if they did that. Um, but then you see the... I guess the hypocrisy and their use of the law in that when 
when it benefits them, they want to use it. But if it's going to be harmful to them, then they don't want to use right, it. Right, right. Um, the next, the, this last quote of Jesus here is really fascinating. Because um, Pilate says, don't you, basically Pilate's saying, hey, buddy, don't you realize that I have the power to keep you alive or kill you? And Jesus says, you know, you would not even have power over me if it weren't given to you from above. And so you have a guy standing here on the brink of being put to death. And, and you have the, again, the voice of Rome standing in front of you saying, don't you realize that I, I have the authority to do either way? Uh, I, you know, we talked about Jesus saying he had authority over his life and death. Now you have the seemingly inhuman form of the person who does in the earthly realm have authority over Jesus' life saying, he, you know, pointing that out. And Jesus is like, no, you know, the only reason you're here doing this is because God Put you in this position. Yeah, it's surreptitiously like granting this power to him. Yeah. That yeah, that he actually has no power himself. Right. Yeah. So in a roundabout way, in this, Jesus is ba- is in a claiming to have authority over the Roman authority. Oh right, indeed. Um, without saying as much, I mean that's basically what he's saying. Yeah. Right. So that would. You have to make your decision. I mean, people have to make, to contend honestly with the claims that Jesus made. Lewis's argument sounds to me like a legitimately formulated argument where you really do have to put Jesus into these categories of, of liar, lord, or lunatic. The liar doesn't even strike me as a tenable position the lunatic doesn't even strike me as obviously a tenable position. The responses that Jesus elicited, they wanted to kill him because they received the message of who he was claiming that he was. And it wasn't just a banal, good, moral teacher that just wanted everybody to get along. Right. That's an irresponsible response to yes. what he actually claimed about himself. Yeah, and... You uh, know, the truth is, even today, uh, every, like you said, everybody has to come, everybody must come to their own decision. And you, you have to pick. And, and you could lump liar and lunatic together in that anything, he's either Lord or he's not. Right, exactly. And... We have uh, shown through these verses, he made plenty of claims that he either must be or he's crazy. I mean, that he's either crazy or he must be from God. Right. And you had both responses in how people responded to him. Yeah. There were people that believed him and went to their own death for the sake of, Mm -hmm. of spreading his his message and trying to convince other people. And then you had people that thought that it was blasphemy and that he was worthy of death. You didn't have, uh, with people that appreciated the full extent, you had one or the other. 
seems to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying there weren't ancillary people, I suppose, that on the fringes that who knows to what degree they were privy to the, to the messages, but you had both extreme responses to him. Yes. And it seems did. to me that that's the only tenable, those are the only tenable categories in which to place him. Mm-hmm. Must be Lord or lunatic. Yes. Or Lord or not, I should say. Yeah. You know, I thought it might be interesting or relevant to point out here. We we briefly kind of talked about some miracles on, on the last episode. Uh, but in John 20, verses 30 and 31, John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if I believe I'm correct that there are eight miracles recorded in John, and John is saying here that that is sufficient. John thought that, John writing, as we believe, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. that that was sufficient to prove that Jesus was Lord. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, yeah, the written word on the page in the book of John is inspired, I think, and uh, and it contained the, the message, but also the works of the miracles. And they mm-hmm. work in tandem, you know. And uh, the miracles, John says, these were posited or, or elaborated on so that they're sufficient, so that you may believe in the claims. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, anything else you want to mention, Brandon? I don't think so. I think that's a, it was a fun fun thing to re-look at this stuff that, that we've read over and over again, but look at it from a position of a standing next to another man that you ran across today, you know, say at the store, and he started telling you some of these things Jesus said, it really makes you look at it and consider it in a different way. You know, we take a lot, we're honest, we take a lot of the uh, claims. I mean, think about, he was able to raise people from the dead. I mean, we say stuff that's, the, the whole Christian picture has some pretty shocking stuff in it. You know, raising people from the dead, ability to, you know, perform miracles, uh, walking on water, calming the storm, power over nature. But I think it gets, it gets too familiarized that we start to just take it for granted and stop to appreciate the mystery or the, um, the really shocking nature of the, of the message or mm-hmm. the story. Yes. But we also do that. I think there's something innate in humans. This is just my opinion that we take, all, I think we, we have a tendency, could be part of our fallen nature, I don't know, to take miraculous things or let's say mysterious things and put them and start to eventually take them for granted. Mm-hmm. Because Chesterton makes the point that children see the world something like a fairy tale because it's new to them and they are amazed at existence itself. Well, Chesterton says that for certain dead levels of our life, we forget that we have forgotten the strange nature of existence itself. And he says that that's why uh, fairy tales are, are 
a great uh, thing to instill in children and to remember, I guess, as adults, because they make us remember how they, when you see the golden apple, it reminds us how crazy it was and how shocking it was when we found out that apples are red. Mm -hmm. He says, when the water, when the rivers run with wine, it makes us remember for one wild moment that they run with water. Nature existence itself is such a mysterious, such a miraculous or um, shocking thing that we have become deadened to. We become deadened to it. Yeah. And when we and we have these moments like ecstasy and art that in which we remember for a moment that we forget. Yeah, and I think you know to that point, um, even especially in the secular world. I mean, it, you can just watch some commercials on TV for a second, and where do where do all people gravitate? to go, well, say vacation or to, to if they're going to, you know, have a reset or to, you know, get away, where do people go? Well, they go to nature. Oh, right. They go to the mountains, they go to the beach. Um, and, you know, why, why do we do that? Well, we may all see something different, but we're all seeing the same thing is there's something magnificent um, that you don't to go get, experience. That you just do not get in these concrete jungles. Correct. It's almost like you're, you're participating in, or you're able to walk inside of a painting, if you will, or, or mm-hmm. some, you see the majesty in nature. But, uh, but yeah, but the, that, the, the nature seems to elicit this forgotten dead level of our life. It seems to elicit that really, I think, adequately. Music does the same, mm-hmm. art, poetry. They awaken this pre, almost prenatal sense of awe and wonderment at the uh, nature of existence itself, which we just become so dead to and accustomed to. But I'm just saying, I think there's a similar claim and we, we need to reawaken to the claims and the awe-inspiring nature of what's actually well, inherent in life itself, but also in the claims that we're just too familiarized with. Yes. I think that familiarity just brings a kind of, you take these things for granted. But um, I enjoyed it, Brandon. Yeah, me too. Look forward to the next one. So y'all keep, uh, keep, keep tuned because Brandon and I are formulating future episodes. Thanks.